Rock Central Monday. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shah here in the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. It is the day after the Canucks' first preseason game. A 10 nothing drubbing at the hands of the Calgary Flames. Yeah, the more things change, the more they stay the same, <laughs> it seems like, in these parts. Uh, at least uh, it doesn't count, technically, no, it doesn't in count. the standings. It doesn't at all. Facts only, it did not count last night, but it uh, nonetheless was still not fun to watch, especially if you are a Canucks fan. And, you know, the thing about it is, okay, it doesn't matter. And it's a preseason game. But... If you are the glass half empty Canucks fan, it is like, oh, here we go again. again. Yeah, I mean, you all thought it was going to change, and no, it's not. This yeah. is the same old Canucks. Yeah, I mean, some people feel that way, but I mean, it's like, so how many players that played last night are going to be on the main roster? Uh, Pierre Suter, yes. Dakota Joshua, two. Hoaglander, three, right? Yeah, Hoaglander, like, those are the only guys, like, I would say, with a bullet, are playing more than 50 games this year. Yeah. So, I mean, and in terms of starting the season with them. So, I mean, that's what we're talking about here. If this was JT Miller, Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes, and Thatcher Demko, and they lost 10-0, then we'd have something to be concerned about. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, not great. And I think it wasn't great for a lot of individual players, right? And like it wasn't and, and I think it wasn't it's not great to have that type of a loss, even if you're a coaching staff, because it's never fun to to have, you know, a ten spot hung on you and yeah. have players have to deal with that. It's not a good thing ever. It's not a good thing. And you had uh, you know, Arthur Shilovs have to stay in there for seven goals uh during that one. So poor guy. Poor guy. It was tough for him. And uh it, you know, really snowballed on uh, on the Canucks netminder. And future goaltender. So, of course, you know, 10 nothing in a preseason game. Um, you know, I think some people took my uh, mistook my tweet last night for me being like tearing my hair out and being like angry about them losing 10 nothing. But it's more that it's, you know, when your parents are like, ah, Sat, Satyar, I'm, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> You're disappointed. You're disappointed in the youngsters <laughs> and the, uh, the fringe players. Which is almost yeah. worse, right. you know? It's just like, here is a bunch of guys that are trying to fight for their roster spot, and they completely lay an egg. You know, Rick Tockett wasn't, was never going to, like, cut them up after that. Um, you know, he went to Calgary with a very uh, young roster and inexperienced roster against a Flames team that started what seventy percent of their main roster, yeah, thereabouts. So it was always going to be difficult. But you don't often see teams lose ten nothing, right? If you're if I'm Rick Tockett, the way I look at it, the way I'm feeling about it, it's like I, I'm trying to evaluate a bunch of these guys who can play within my structure and who can, you know, um, do their job, play their roles. And nobody did last yeah. night or very few, if any, really played their role last night. So that would be my biggest gripe, especially after a weekend in Victoria where all they did was structure stuff and talk about playing our role and be harder to play against and those types of things. We didn't see any of that last night. So that's where my disappointment lies more than anything else, because it truly felt like a reality check for a lot of these roster hopefuls on the Vancouver Canucks. We mentioned it 
Pew Suter, Dakota Joshua, like there's only a handful of guys, Nils Hoaglander, that are mm-hmm. going to play a ton of NHL games this year for this club. But there's a lot of guys that are vying for the final spots on the roster, and especially in defense, Sat, where there's quite clearly, you know, the sixth job is still up for grabs, and then seven and eight are still up for grabs on defense to break the season with the big club. And a lot of those guys were playing last night. None of them really showed all that well. No, I mean, the defenseman who showed the best was the guy who joined one of the latest to join, which was Akita Hirose last yep. year, who signed as a college free agent, him and Cole McWard. McWard, I mean, had some moments. He had a bit of a rough night as well overall. But Hirose is the guy who looked calm again, considering the amount of pressure the team was under. Yep. He's the guy who actually met that pressure. And I thought there were a lot of moments where he was under duress, but made the right play. He was in the right position defensively, had an active stick defending as well. He was just a keto hero. So now he wasn't able to impose his will on the game, which I think was very difficult given how much the entire squad was getting outplayed. But it seemed like at no point did he give in. Every mm-hmm. time he was on the ice, it seemed like for the most part, part things were a bit calmer when he was playing. So outside of a keto Hirose, I don't have many good things to say about any defenseman who played last night. 650, 650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Uh, was it a reality check for the Canucks? Uh, what's your level of concern? You can send in your texts there. On Hirose, you know, he, uh, I had thought, like many others, that he was not on the ice for a goal against. It just so happens he was on for Matt Coronado's second of the night, the 6 nothing goal, which was Noah Juleson's giveaway after uh, he was stick-checked in his own end by Dryden Hunt, and then Coronado easily scored. Um, it was marked down as Jet Wu being on the ice, but it was, in fact, Akito Hirose. Other than that, he was not on the ice for a goal against. So he was not directly involved in a major breakdown that resulted in a goal at any point, which is more than pretty much any other defenseman on the roster can say. You know, we talked a lot about the team trying to raise the floor of the roster, right, from the depth on up. And that's where my concern comes in from last night because you play it out on defense and we didn't like what we saw from Carson Soucy on Saturday in Victoria, our first look in a scrimmage of all things next to Quinn Hughes. So you still have a pretty sizable hole to be filled on the right side of defense, but Noah Juleson didn't look good. Jet Wu didn't look good, even though he had a stellar, three days in Victoria for the Vancouver Canucks. I mean, you go on Jack Rathbone didn't look good. You go on down the list, all of these players that you're hoping took a step, you know, last night was your real first impression and you didn't get much to go on. No. And and I'd, and I'd say this, like about raising the floor, the floor can still be higher, but what it shows is the ceiling is maybe lower than you had hoped. Right. I think it was always going to be a long shot for you to think of Noah Juleson as a legitimate candidate, not only to make the team, but to play a sizable role on this team. And it's like, well, you know what? It's the first day of training camp. Why not throw him in Hughes together? They played 120 minutes last year together, a whole 120 minutes, which is like the equivalent of eight games playing alongside of each and other. And he was... He was decent. In he was fine. Games. No, he was good. He Quinn was Hughes played great during that yeah. time, and he was fine playing alongside him. Now, in tough moments, he was taken off that pair. Somebody else jumped in, whether it was Myers, whether it was Luke Shen. They didn't stay together in the critical moments, but a lot of five-on-five situations, they were together, and they they played fine, but it was very much Quinn Hughes carrying him. 
Noah Juleson is not going to be able to play 17, 18, 19, 20 minutes consistently alongside Quinn Hughes in every situation. No. And he's not going to be able to handle playing big minutes on your third pair even. But he provides you decent depth as a 7, 8 guy, maybe a guy you call up if things happen. He can play a few minutes in your top four and give you some minutes as the season goes on. I think there's value in that, of course. But what last night showed, especially against a good Flames team, was Juleson's 26 wasn't able to handle it very well, right? We look at Jet Wu, who's now 23 years old, played a lot of AHL games. He struggled in a big way, like mm-hmm. a massive way. And I look at Jet Wu and say, okay, it wasn't even just looking at, okay, well, he had to go up against Uberdo and, and Kadri. There are moments when tweener guys were gaining separation from him. Ruchiski, yeah. he, had a, he had a hard time keeping up with a lot of players in a defensive zone, right? Well, the, the power play goal that starts the third period, the Connor Zaries goal, I mean... I, Jet Wu is just like out there beer league level defending with the way that he's got his stick going at yeah. uh, Ruzichka before eventually he pulls himself completely out of position. And it's like, it's like the easiest cross eyes feed for Ruzichka to make over to over to Connor Zary for the goal. Yeah, and I mean, he's he's not moving his feet effectively in that yeah. spot. He looks like a deer in headlights, had a problem with, with his gap control. And he looked good in training camp. He looked good in the AHL last year. But when it comes to some higher pace, he's having trouble handling it. That was very clear. I'm not seeing anybody, at least, and we saw this through camp in terms of what their options are. When you look at the right side to start the season... Like I don't, I don't think any of these guys are a real option here to start the season on the third pair. Like Juleson, probably not. I don't yeah. think McWard's going to break through, for instance. And even Jack Rathbone, if he makes the team, it's as a seven-eight defenseman. Yeah, and um, you know, I know on on Friday we did the mailbag from Victoria, and we were asked to make a bold prediction about who could break uh, with the Canucks roster. What would be a surprise? And I had mentioned Noah Juleson starting the year as Quinn Hughes's uh, partner. Now. It obviously is not looking like a good prediction as of this moment. Um, I've always thought it's going to be sort of a job share with Quinn Hughes, even if it is Carson Soucy. Like maybe we see it um, mold through the game. You know, you'll get points where Hughes and and Hironic are playing together. You know, you'll still get moments in offensive zone draw where maybe it's Hughes and Tyler Myers that go out there. But I also wonder just, you know, how often – third periods, big moments, is Rick Tockett or Adam Foote going to send Hughes and Hironic over the boards? Because That's probably going to be, in the last 10 minutes of hockey games, you'll probably see Hughes and Hironic out there for like seven of those minutes. Yeah. And, you know, that's where they end up playing, both probably 25 minutes a night. Because even last year, like you look at, um, so Luke Shen was Quinn Hughes' most common partner. But even in, The 55 games that Luke Shen played with the Vancouver Canucks, he still only averaged 17 minutes a night. So it doesn't necessarily have to be this huge role that you're playing next to Quinn Hughes because it's always going to be a bit of a job share with Hughes. He's going to play 25 minutes a night. He can play 25 minutes a night. You're comfortable with him doing that. He's going to have different partners through the course of the game, but you want to be comfortable with the guy that he's playing most of his time out there with. And as of like, that's my concern right now through this early part of training camp and so far through preseason, nobody's really stepping up to take that role for to play next to Quinn Hughes, whether it's Carson Soucy or anybody else. Yeah. And, you know, to be fair to Soucy, all we saw from him was one scrimmage at training camp. Yeah. And we'll see ultimately what it it looks like 
in the preseason and whether that can be a real option for the team. Now, to give you context for those that were not at training camp and the scrimmage and also some of the drills, like he, he really struggled to be able to retrieve the puck in his own end. He, he struggled defending, playing the right side. He struggled making simple passes with Quinn Hughes. Now, again, it's training camp and all these things in scrimmage can, can factor into it. But when we're looking at yeah. evaluating and seeing you know, whom can play with whom, it wasn't something that was very promising in terms of thinking this is going to work. So I'm really curious to see what happens. Because if, that if that's not going to be a real option for you, the only option yeah. you have is, like you mentioned, probably to play Cole there to some degree. Yep. You know, and Guillaume Brisebois, who's a player that increasingly looked good when you saw him last year, looked good in Abbotsford, looked good in training camp, looked good in the scrimmage. We'll see how it looks in the preseason. Like, I think he's going to make the team, and he has a little bit of versatility as well. Like, I think that's going to be your mix here. I think the starting, you know, top six defenseman for next, for the beginning of the season is going to be probably whether they start with Susie and, and Hughes, but it's going to be the top four defensemen are Susie, Hughes, my, well, Koronik and Cole and Myers, that's your top five. I think Breezebois is going to be the number six. I think those are going to be the six defensemen to start the season for the team. And the long-term fixture for Quinn Hughes is not on this roster. Yeah, and it's still a work in progress to find who that player is. You know, Tockett has mentioned he needs to be convinced by somebody uh, to play on their offhand on the right side next to Quinn Hughes. So we'll have to see. Uh, let's get uh, Carson Soucy into some games and see how it looks next to uh, Quinn Hughes. But that's, you know, you mentioned Brisebois, you know, Willannon. Um, you know, it seems as though those two are most likely to, to be on the roster. If I'm going to read into the players that were sent to Calgary last night, maybe I shouldn't read too much. Into yeah, that, I'd be but... careful with that a little bit, but I get what you're saying. I would, I would say that that, that top six with Brisebois and then Will is probably the odds-on favorite to be the number seven. And then you maybe have one more spot on the roster to fill because you you will carry eight defensemen. So then let me ask you this before we move to the forwards. Yeah. And one in particular. Are you worried about losing any of these guys on waivers? And I'll name the players. Rathbone, Juleson, Irwin, Jet Wu. Do you have any concern about losing them on waivers? A, that they get picked up. And B, that it's a problem if they get picked up. No. I don't think you're too worried about it. Like Irwin, I, I don't think Irwin gets picked up off waivers. Probably not. Um, Juleson, look, he's a right shot, but again, has two years, but he's it's a two year deal still. But I mean, I guess it's a possibility. He's twenty six. Probably, probably not. Doesn't doesn't look like it. I wouldn't be too no. worried about it. The one is is Rathbone, and I know he's he's still a youngish defenseman. He's the same age as Akito Hirose, so he's he is still youngish. But my problem with Rathbone is, like, there doesn't seem to be growth in the areas that we need to see growth in. There was a lot of lost board battles last night. The reads were problematic. The reads are still problematic in the defensive zone. It's one of those things. It's like, you know, an offensive forward that has played through junior and even scored in the A and then gets to the NHL and all of a sudden, oh, it's not as easy to score here. Yeah, It it almost feels like we're there with Rathbone right now where it's you're not going to be able to do all of the dynamic things you are able to even to some extent at the AHL level or what you did in college. We need to see more of your development so that I can trust you in your own end, that I can trust you to make the right reads at the NHL level and not be as much of a liability out there, which has held him back early on in his career so far. But 
simple things like winning board battles were were a struggle for him last night. Yeah, they were. And he did have some good moments, right? He had moments where he moved the puck effect efficiently, that like he skated back and back checked well and he got into the right position. And he had moments. And I, and I think... I would still be... Well, there's so much talent there that you're going to see moments. Exactly. Which And still, I will say, though, despite all that, he still had moments better than most other defensemen on the team. Yeah. So it goes back to, that's the only guy like you I would be somewhat concerned about. Because part of me is like, okay, Rathbone still needs to play more. He hasn't even played... like He's played under 100 games at the NHL and AHL level so far. Just yeah. under 100. Just over 100 games. Over four years. It's not a lot, man. Like He hasn't played a lot over the last three or four years. He needs to get more playing time. And I think he needs to get more pro time. And there is a world where if he gets more time, all of a sudden things could click and mm-hmm. get better. It could be a small chance, but I still think that chance is there greater than all the other guys we, were t- we talked about on this yeah. team. So I think there is a world where you just keep him on the roster... But is that where he's going to get but playing, he's not time? playing time? And I think that's a problematic thing here. That's yeah. the issue with, with Rathbone. He does, I'm not sure there's any trade value there. So I think you're, you're getting up to a pretty close point where it's like you got to make a decision. Mm-hmm. And it might be better for him to go elsewhere where he gets more opportunity or if he gets to spend a whole year in Abbotsford again. But I know that's not something that he's keen on, obviously, right? And organizationally, you're paying a guy 950000 which is. Hey, it's not a lot of money, but it's still a one-way deal, almost a million dollar dollars for a guy who may not play a lot of games for you. So I don't know if there's a huge loss for anybody, but Rathbone would still be that guy. But my main takeaway, though, from the defense is I wouldn't be overly concerned about making roster decisions. Like, you shouldn't bend over backwards yeah. to, you know, send somebody down who deserves, who deserves to be on the team to keep one of these guys, you know? Uh, Tones, Rathbone's second year is a one-way. Yes, it is. His uh, both la- last year was one-way, too, but there was he still had eligibility to get sent down. Yeah. Uh, may give teams pause. Yeah, it is uh, would be an expensive contract uh, to some extent for teams to take on. Uh, one final thought on Akito Hirose, uh, since you know we both still like what we've seen from Hirose, but is there a want to see what he could do as potentially Abbotsford's number one defenseman and and let him develop there? So I think if he's not going to start in your top six, let mm-hmm. him play. Like, yeah. I think if Brisebois continues to look good and he looks fine and yeah. you're w- willing to start the season as the number six defenseman, then just send him down. Let him play. But as soon as an injury happens, I want him to be the first guy that comes into place. Uh, so that's the thought on uh, Akito Hirose. Um, th- there was not a lot to take from the forward group. I know Tockett did give a little bit of an answer on Nils Hoaglander after the game and liked some of what he did. Didn't like some other things that he mm-hmm. did, but you know, in this preseason where we've evaluated so much and talked so much about Nils Hoaglander and Vasily Podkolzin, the one thing I would say is for certain Nils Hoaglander has looked better than Vasily Podkolzin to this point. Absolutely. And as much as we can still nitpick Hoaglander, he looked better than most forwards outside of Atu Ratu. And yep. Ratu is also like a guy we haven't seen before, so we're looking at some pop. And he wasn't great. He was good, comparat- comparatively speaking and everything. I think the biggest thing with Ratu for me is his skating stride has improved and some of the pace issues I think might be less of an issue for him this year yeah and I think that's a positive right and and hopefully he keeps building on that outside of that I think Hoaglander was the team's second most effective forward I thought thought Studnika had some some moments or whatever but not enough that you're like okay he was one of the better players for the team but even though he has some issues he's still miles ahead of these other guys we're talking about yeah you know like McDonough you know, you still see he has some time to go. And he might end up being a good player down the road and maybe better than Hoaglander one day, perhaps. But he's not going to be that guy today or tomorrow, yeah. you know. 
nobody else is either. So it shows that even though Hoaglander had his issues, he's still a far better option than the number of guys you have. And not that it solidifies his spot on the roster, but I think even by default, mm-hmm. it's kind of like, yeah, well, I mean, that's why you still ha- have this guy around. That's why you still try to make it work with this guy because as much as he so has he issues, a bucks in the yeah, but he still has more yeah. potential than these other guys we're talking about here. He was a uh, second-round pick, and you know he's shown already, like does have uh, decent level production at the yeah. NHL level uh, through the early parts of his career. So with Pod Colson, it's just it just seems he still can't get out of his own way to the point where there's just a little bit of hesitation in his game, and that's that's what's crushing him because there's just so much talent we see the player in there we have seen the player in there through his early nhl career but this is something he's really struggling to get over it seems i mean it seems like the more instruction he gets and the more he gets told to break out of where he's at yes the more passive he gets it's almost like he's got information overload and he's par- he has paralysis by analysis almost this is That's me trying like. to figure out my my golf swing with a bunch of youtube instructional videos and then, then i you get show up to up. the ball and i got like a thousand things in my head i'm like wow what do i do yeah and all of a sudden like you're duffing balls <laughs> yes. right and it's like you know you're better than that like yes. you i've seen like I, hey listen i'm the worst golfer out of the three of us here and maybe even victor i don't even know if victor is a good golfer or not i assume he, he might be better than i am it wouldn't surprise me right yeah but like dan will like, well, i've gone to the range with you i've you hit the ball you can hit the ball perfectly yes but then all of a sudden you get these ideas in your head and you show up and you're like and it's like it's not going the way you no. want it to go but it's not because you can't do it it's because you're overthinking it right yes. and i think that's a great example and a great like you know personal comparison you can kind of make here in terms of just getting into your own head i don't know how you get out of that outside of maturity yeah and i don't mean like that he's immature but like like when you're 21 22 23 sometimes it's hard to be super confident in yourself yeah and it might be co- it's hard to be confident when you're trying to make it at the national hockey league level and that's why as much as some people who are irrationally confident like josh can be super annoying because you're like why do you think you can do it whatever you want but at least having that belief for for star athletes or athletes it's like you know this guy's gonna be locked in you know that no matter what he's gonna believe in himself probably to a fault but that's okay because at least it's gonna bring the best out of him if you don't have that belief in yourself it's going to be hard to bring the best out of you. So with Put Colson, I don't know how you get out of it outside of maturity. And the question is, how much time do you have to let that play out as an organization? You, you can take it easy this year because you can send him, send him down, doesn't require waivers, and you don't have to rush him or whatever it is. But if it's going to take two or three years for this guy to become an NHL player, maybe be a third-line player for you, at what point does your organization say, do we have more value in doing something with this player via trade potentially versus trying to let him develop over two or three years? And at some point, it becomes more valuable for you to move on than to try to make it work and, and give the time that you need to give. And that's why this year, by the by the trade deadline, I think this organization has to make a decision on where they feel new, uh, a guy like Vasily Putkolzin's at. Because the maturity has to come in until he's confident. We're not going to see the best version of him. Uh, coming up, we're going to get to uh, the Monday menu. And it's going to be centered around which players are trending up as preseason starts to get into, well, we get through training camp and into preseason. Plus, John Mattis is going to join us next, senior NHL writer for The Score. That's next on Canucks Central. The most opinionated Canucks show out there. Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Canuck Central in the Kintech studio. If you want to get in touch with the show, 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. That is how you interact with us during the course of the program if you are listening live. We do appreciate it. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center, or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. And uh, at Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center, they do some skate sharpenings. I might, uh, might need to saunter over there and get a, little, uh, get a little sharpening as my beer league season begins. Yeah, not I, that it's going to help me skate all that much better. But. No, I, I've heard that um, that your beer league team relies on you quite heavily. <laughs> it can be tough some nights. <laughs> it can be tough. Big uh, minutes for the big star. Oh, I don't know about that. Don't know about that. Uh, all right, let's bring in our next guest. Uh, speaking of big stars, it's John Mattis, senior NHL writer at the Score. Thanks for this, John. Uh, you ready to dunk on the Canucks for losing ten nothing or what? I'm ready to soak in that uh, compliment. Uh, nice segue there. Call <laughs> me a star and everything. But yeah, that's a tough. That's a tough go. Now, what? It, Ten nothing doesn't matter what happened. The circumstances. That's just uh, demoralizing. It's it's always tough. And yeah, it is preseason. The Canucks had uh, you know a mostly AHL roster against a uh, Calgary Flame squad that had most of their NHL roster. So maybe the the disaster was uh, somewhat predictable. However, you know you still don't see those types of score in preseason too often. And, you know, it's it, it's just kind of something that we've gotten used to with the Canucks where they get off to tough starts pretty much every year. But when I've talked to people outside of the market, I get a lot of people thinking or kind of optimistic about the Rick Tockett-led Canucks. Where do you find yourself on the Canucks as we get into, uh, as we get closer to the season? Yeah, I don't know if I would go as far as optimistic, but, he, he seems to be bringing some kind of stability to the organization. And I think that's a key word with this franchise right now, as far as what you want to hit, what you are achieving, what you're uh, shooting for. And, you know, he can't do it all right. Like he can't figure out what's going on with Elias Patterson. That's up to the Patterson, you know, Demko's health. That's another thing that's always been, um, in, you know, unstable. Um, you know, he can't control that, but hopefully he can guide him in the right direction for a bounce back year. Um, but you know, something talker can do is, is, is guide this revamp blue line, um, which on paper might bring some stability, um, in the right direction. So I don't know. When I look at the Canucks, I, I see, um, a team that's, you know, in the murky middle in a lot of ways with, with where they may end up in the standings, you know, what the roster looks like the amount of turnover, um, but also a team that, you know, at the end of the day, like I feel like this season is sort of like a leveling out season. Okay, let's return to normal after a couple of hectic years between, you know, President GM coming in, you know, the Bruce Boudreaux thing with him. Okay, are we ever going to fire this guy? And people kind of rally, rallying behind the guy who was, who was going to be fired. Um, you know, the Tanner Pearson health situation, the human rights complaint. Like there's just, there was just a bunch of kind of, messy situations and right now there there isn't really anything uh really at the top of mind in terms of that so um does that all does all the credit go to target no but like he's the type of guy that seems to um i guess calm things down which again is, is a huge plus 
No, a hundred percent. And you know, I think everybody's at a point now with this team. They're like, show us, and and then maybe we'll buy in if you show us you're a decent hockey team. We do know they have a few star players, right? And Elias Pettersson obviously is a big topic of conversation, especially until he does or doesn't sign a contract extension here long term. But. I think last year he proved he can be among some of the best players in the world. The question is, how high can that ceiling be? What are you expecting to see out of Elias Pettersson this upcoming season? Uh, yeah, it's kind of tough, right? Because I feel like he's at this point where if this is his ceiling, I mean, what what a player, right? So to expect more from him almost seems a little selfish. But at the same time, he's young enough. I mean, he's, what, 24? Uh, in my mind, I think if I can compare it to, say, a, a Matthew Kachuk, when I watch Matthew Kachuk, I go, I think there's another level there. I think he can get into the conversation of, you know, top five, top six player in the world. And he's right now sort of flirting with that. Um, and, and Pedersen, you know, I can, I can talk myself into uh, a similar situation. Um, but no, I mean, he's, he's already uh, an elite two-way guy. Um, I think that, you know, and you know how these, these things work, right, guys, in terms of the, the cycle of the narrative and, and kind of, you know, uh, people getting behind certain players for the Selkie. I think that this season, assuming that his, his metrics look good and, 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 and the efforts there, et cetera, I think that he'll be in the conversation for the Selkie now that Bergeron's not around, uh, along with, you know, the Heishers and, and Barkovs of the world. And um, uh, that's, that's also huge because this guy's putting up 100 points. So um, if at the end of the day he, he replicates at least, let's just say, 90% of his offense from last year and is, is, it takes a step defensively in terms of uh, being that shutdown guy but also deadly offensively. Like, I mean, we're, we're, we're talking about not necessarily a unicorn player, but, but within a really select few of play, players that can have an impact on, on three zones night after night um, and not of a ton of help, if we're being completely honest. Like in terms of, there's some stars in the league that are surrounded by other really high end guys, and you know he's got Hughes, obviously, um, and he's got you know JT Miller. But after that, there's a there's a decent drop off. So I, I'm high on Patterson. I mean, I've always really liked him, um, and, and I I really from afar appreciate how he's grown his game and, and become a lot more versatile. So. I want to say the sky's the limit, but at the same time, like he's already at such a high level that um, it's possible that this is his peak in the same way that it's possible that we've seen the best of McDavid, right? Like um, these guys are, are in their prime. And when you're in your prime, you do hit that, that top uh, watermark. You know, um, Quinn Hughes, sometimes I wonder if Quinn Hughes is as appreciated outside of Vancouver uh, as he is here. But uh, then I was uh, doing some research today and saw that Quinn Hughes was fourth by at least one online book for the Norris this year behind Kale McCarr, Adam Fox, and Rasmus Dowling. Now, you know, sometimes the Norris, uh, it, does, uh, it, it can be all about points. And we know Quinn Hughes can do that. But do you see Quinn Hughes as you know, one of the very, very best defensemen, as that betting line would suggest. Yeah, I mean, I think he's a top 10 for sure. Top five, I think, is is debatable in terms of defense. And I mean, Kale McCarr, I think, is a cut above. And then from there, I'm really high on Mir Haskinen. And I think if we're projecting, I think he's going to have a monster year and was a little appreciated last year. I think Adam Fox is right there with Haskinen in terms of that second tier and then we've got the old guys, you know, Hedman, Carlson, Yossi, 
and you mentioned Darlene, you know, you throw in McAvoy, and then I think Hughes is in that conversation too. So he's certainly within the top 10 for me, so so that makes him automatically in the conversation for the North as far as uh, a long list. Um, and it just matters, uh, you know, let's face it, sometimes it, it, it comes down to did you get the bounces, did your teammates get the bounces, um, what are your underlying metrics look compared to your teammates, uh, you know, I guess what kind of growth are you showing? Because I think that uh, factors into the Norris, uh, I find. And it's not it's not out of the realm of possibility, especially when, you know, <laughs> you know he just became the captain. Like, there's, a, there's sort of a story to tell there in terms of him really leveling up and becoming right in that, right firmly in that conversation with, with the best in the world. So, I mean, I, like if I was, uh, you know, giving advice, I wouldn't, um, necessarily say, oh, bet on Quinn Hughes winning the Norris, unless there's like amazing odds or something. But um, just because I, I think so highly of Makar, and then I think Haskin and Fox are, are like right behind them. And then you, you just really can't count out a guy like Hedman or a guy like Carlson. I realize they have a lot of miles on them. And there's, you know, we can talk all day long about Carlson's defensive game, et cetera. Um, but they bring it. They, they've been around for a really long time. So, we're we're pretty lucky. I don't know about you guys, but like, there's a ton of high-end defensemen that you can mm-hmm. you can bring up in this conversation. You know, even an Owen Power. Let's see what he does as a sophomore. I'm not saying he's going to win the North by any means, but you know, does he start entering the conversation as far as uh, the next wave of of Norris caliber defensemen? Because last year he sure, certainly showed that he's he's going to be capable of it or, or should be, given the trajectory of defensemen in the league. So. Uh, that's another guy that that I've circled as far as uh, keeping an eye on. Yeah, and what's really interesting, I think, for this season, in terms of those players, you mentioned uh, Owen Power and Rasmus Dahlin, and you look at that Buffalo Sabres team that was so good at points last season, seems like they've even, even improved a bit more, and people are wondering, are they going to be the next New Jersey Devils that take that big step? And then you have the Ottawa Senators, who have a lot of great young talent as well. Uh, are, which team do you kind of think this year will take that step very much in the way that New Jersey did last year? I think Buffalo, but I, I you know, in the, to say in the way that, New, and I know you're not trying to frame it this way, yeah. but New, what New Jersey did was like a literally record-breaking in terms of the points, yes. one season to the next. But I see what you're saying, and I would probably pick Buffalo, at least in the East. Uh, for one, they, they were only a point away from the, the cutoff line in the East last year. It's not like they were five, ten points out. So they were right there in the conversation uh, as, as a really imperfect team last year, like, Guns are blazing offensively, but not a care in the world defensively, right? So uh, they've added, you know, Connor Clifton's a really good defenseman. He kind of gets um, the short end of the stick, for lack of a better word, or not to make a pun, but the, the guy's short, and, and but he plays such a big game, and I think he got lost in that really deep Boston Bruins uh, blue line. So him being added to the top four that already had Rasmus Dahlin, Matias Samuelson, and Owen Power, I mean, that's the assuming uh, sort of the chemistry is there with, with Clifton and one of those guys, like I think that's a, a pretty solid top four. And then you, you've got the guns up front from Tage Thompson, Dylan Cousins, Alex Tuck, et cetera. I, I just, I think it, and it's really unfair, but I think a lot of their season is going to come down to how does Devin Levi look? Because let's face it, there are other goaltending options, Eric Comrin, Uka Pekalukanen, are not great. So you're putting a lot of pressure on a rookie, 
Um, but also at the same time, you insulated that rookie with with some more defensively minded players, uh, including a guy that I didn't mention before, Jordan Greenway, who came over at the deadline last year, a pretty good two way player. So I I'm high on on Buffalo, and I think you know it, it sounds cliche, it sounds lame, but I think they're building something pretty special there as far as a, a culture and, and a sort of a buy into the market and an us versus them mentality. And I mean, they, they kind of need it if we're being honest, just because they are on a historically long playoff drought. I don't know if people listening, you know, in Vancouver realize that it's been 12 years in Buffalo, the longest in NHL history. So you can look at that in multiple ways where it's like, once they finally break through, it's going to be huge. It's going to be so galvanizing, galvanizing, but on the other side, it's like there's so much pressure to just get in. And what does Kevin Adams, their GM, do around the deadline? He's got a ton of space right now, so he's got money to work with. But, you know, does he make uh, some moves that maybe hurt them long-term just to, to, to slide in the playoffs? Or is it a smart move? Because this team needs playoff experience, and you need to reward them. And it's just a fascinating situation, especially when you've got Don Granato, the coach, and the GM, Adams, really on the same page as a partnership there there's there's something pretty uh pretty fascinating as i'll use that word again about about the sabers right now uh final one for you on the uh, edmonton oilers and i know uh toronto takes up a lot of the uh, air for (laughs) for the (laughs) nhl and so much has been discussed about austin matthews contract and then now william nylander and then after that it'll be talking about mitch marner but there you look at the Oilers. It's like, hey, Leon Dreisaitl is two years away from unrestricted free agency. Connor McDavid just uh, three years away now. It it feels like um, you know, this is the next big conversation. And you know, really, if we're being honest about it, the clock is very much ticking on the Oilers to uh, get something done with those two players on their roster. Absolutely, I think. And and of course, of all players to have on your roster that that you want to carry you somewhere i mean those are the players right so there's there's worse situations to be in if you're if you're the oilers brass but yeah i mean like let, let's let's like a uh, blue sky this i mean let's say things uh really go downhill this year i mean the, does dry side in the offseason say hey look i'm not i'm not resigning like i'm i'm out of here and then does is that you know we've seen it in other markets does that does that lead to a trade i mean i'm you know that's obviously way down the road and, and who knows maybe dry side will sign an eight-year deal but that's kind of the territory they're in, right? Where this, this era could hypothetically come to a close sooner than later. And they have no cup final appearances to show for it. Obviously you mentioned Toronto. They've had more success in Toronto um, by a long shot, winning a couple rounds here and there. And there's been no issues with their stars contributing. You guys will remember dry on one leg a few years ago. I guess it was two years ago, whenever it was um, just putting up ridiculous numbers while significantly hurt mcdavid's always been great in the playoffs so it it's it's one of those things where i i feel like ken holland slowly but surely uh turned the, the depth or or at least the players below mcdavid and drysaddle into um something respectable something formidable um but at the same time i don't think that they're a team that if you take those two guys away you're you're scared of right there's there's certainly, uh, you know, questions about Darnell Nurse and, and his, um, you know, his contract and, and kind of the value you get out of him at that cap number and how that affects who else you can bring into your organization to help. I think Ekholm's been great on the back end, so that was a big, a big win there. But then you, you look at the goaltending, and 
you know, if Stuart Skinner did what he did in the regular season again, which isn't a guarantee, the guy was a rookie last year, you can go on a hot streak. As you guys know, goalies are voodoo, et cetera. If they don't get stopped from him or Jack Campbell, uh, what are we what are we doing here, right? Because I don't think the the team structure is strong enough to to withstand um, poor goaltending. So it, it's 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 kind of it's in a, in a way it's kind of the same old story in, in Edmonton, but in another way, as you guys bring up, the, the clock is ticking, and I think McDavid and Drysaitel they're saying all the right things in terms of hey, we don't care about individual hardware, we don't care about individual totals. And I think it's actually believable given where they are in their careers and what they've accomplished and the fact that the playoff success has kind of slipped through their hands. So um, it'll be really interesting. I mean, uh, they're, they're a team that, that needs a couple of guys to pop lower down the lineup because, uh, and, and, you know, a guy like Connor Brown, for example, uh, under, under 800 K, if he can find some success, that's really good uh, bargain there. So, they're by no means a guarantee to go deep in the playoffs, but you've got to think at some point with two guys that are arguably the two best in the league or, or at least the best player and another top five player, you have to believe that they're going to just through luck and happenstance get to a cup final here. John, we really appreciate the time. Thanks for this. Thanks for having me on, guys. Have a good one. Uh, there is John Mattis uh, from the Score joining us here on uh, on Canuck Central. It's going to be uh, man. If uh, well, I, I'm not expecting Edmonton to not make the playoffs or yes. anything like that. But if they have a disappointing playoff campaign, maybe that spurs some questions about the future of Leon Drysital and Connor McDavid. To which. You just ride it out as long as you can because you're not going to find better players than that is essentially how at least I would play it. But uh, we'll see how it plays out over the course of the season for the Edmonton Oilers. All right. So we've got a bit of a uh, work in progress here. Yes. Working title. Still a working title program. Yeah. It's the preseason for all of us. Yes. (laughs) Working title. We are uh, keen on uh, the Monday menu, but it's still a working title for now. We are going with the Monday menu, and today's Monday menu is which players are trending up as preseason begins. Ah, got a little See, the sizzle. Reason, reason I don't want to get off of Monday menu <laughs> is a restaurant music. It's because I put restaurant music in and I put a sizzle in. Let's just put a steak on the grill, why don't you? All right, restaurant menu. Okay, are we eating? Because I'm going to get hungry. Sat's, oh, Sat's yeah. already hungry. This he, is why we can't. He do heard this the anymore. sizzle, and <sighs> uh, that was it. Man, it's almost dinner time. It is almost dinner time. Uh, so, which players are trending up as preseason begins for the Vancouver Canucks? So, who's on the menu and who's off the menu? Yes. Okay. Well, the, the players that are <laughs> on the menu are the ones that are trending up right now. Oh, very good, very good. Uh, I think it's fair to start with uh, Nils Hoglander. Yeah. Um, you know, he's kind of the same player that he's always been. And that's right now good enough for what this roster is looking for. And most importantly, he's quite clearly outperformed Vasily Podkolzin. Yeah, he has. And also when you compare him to some of the other guys who are options, he's clearly better than they are. And that doesn't mean he's perfect, but he's still a better option than pretty much anybody else they have vying for that same spot at the moment. Now, you can give a Bavillier that spot if you wanted to, but guys fighting for spots to make the roster, 
Hoglander, maybe by default, the more we see. Uh, Akito Hirose is uh, on the menu as well. We talked a lot about uh, defensemen underperforming at the start of the show. Akito Hirose has done exactly the same thing that he's done from the minute that he showed up last season, and that's just be very solid. Yeah, uh, very good. Uh, he just keeps doing the same things he's done really well, which is defend well, be in the right spot, have a very active stick, move the puck efficiently, be smart with his positioning, and have engagement along the boards. Did I leave anything out? Nope. Uh, he is still your son. That's very clear. Yeah. Uh, Akito Hirose. <laughs> I, the one question is, do we see him you know, start in Abbotsford as the number one D-man in, in the AHL or play a top pair role in the AHL and then eventually get the call up when the season calls for it? But uh, we'll see what happens with Akito Hirose. He's fighting with, with Brisebois to make the roster. And if he doesn't beat out Brisebois, probably go back to the AHL. Uh, Tyler Myers is next on the menu. Wee. Uh, I, I that that sound you hear is people yelling in their cars. <laughs> Those that are listening live are like, uh, "Excuse me, Tyler Myers? I thought we were trading Tyler Myers in the last year of his contract. What's going on?" Now, partly it's because he looked good in training camp. Yes. And in the scrimmage, he was maybe the best defenseman outside of Quinn Hughes. Like he was going, like he was dominant. He looked like Calder Myers in that scrimmage, the blue white yes, scrimmage. Calder Trophy Myers. Uh, that's from what he looked 7, like seven thousand years ago. But that's only a small reason why he's making the menu. Yeah. The main reason why he's making the menu is: Did you see the defenseman last <laughs> night? So can we please retire the take of well, you can play these guys twenty minutes a game. If Noah Juleson plays twenty minutes a game and, yeah. or plays twenty two minutes a game, the way Myers plays twenty two minutes a game, it's going to be yeah. worse. And I get it; Myers is overpaid. He's problematic. He's not a top four defenseman on most teams in the National Hockey League. He's a number. He's a third pair defenseman, but he can play up and down your lineup if you need to. But please, after watching last night, can we? later rest the notion that any defenseman can walk off the street and be better than Tyler Myers because that's just not the truth. He uh, may not be the most ordered item on the menu, but he is <laughs> on the menu. It's Tyler Myers, who's still a top four defenseman on the Vancouver Canucks as it stands right now. Uh, Jack Studnika on the menu uh, didn't stand out too much for me last night, but he's quite clearly had a strong training camp and he's trying to give himself an identity as a player. He is, and he was really good in camp. He was really good in that scrimmage. He's been impressive to the coaches and his teammates. Not as good against the Flames. I will say, though, he still had the most scoring chances, like grade A scoring chances of any Canuck last night, so that's a positive. Got in on the forecheck a little bit, but not a lot. You wanted to see a bit more, but right now, it looks like he's got an angle on a guy like Put Colson, for instance, especially if he's not going to play every day, and even if you start looking at guys like Sheldon Dries, for instance, I think Jake Jack Studnika has a real shot of making this team. Uh, Brock Besser is on the menu as well. Uh, he's got the most upside on the menu. Uh, the ceiling is the highest for anybody on, yeah. else on the menu. Uh, he got the first look on the on power play one out of all the other forwards. Not Anthony Beauvillier, not anybody else. It was Brock Besser working on power play one, which is trying a lot of ambitious things from what we saw on Saturday at uh, training camp in Victoria set. Power play one could uh, could look a little different this year for the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, and, and you know he, he played some net front, some bumper spot. He played a half wall a little bit. They want to get those guys moving around. So if he's going to be on the first unit power play and he can keep up and play with JT Miller on the second line, yeah, it looks like at least he's a better option than most players, and his stock is certainly pointing upwards. The question is, is he going to be an item on the menu that people... 
get back to, <laughs> or does he get passed over because there are more exciting things on the menu? Like Aturatu on the menu. Uh, he's uh, got an extra little uh, jump in his step. Aturatu liked a lot of what we've seen, even going back to some of the games in Penticton. So a lot to like from Aturatu, who's uh, a little bit faster on the menu these days. Yeah, he looked really good. And I'm, I'm encouraged by his progress, and especially for the next year or two to see what he can, can become. Uh, expect him to play a lot in the AHL this year and mm-hmm. uh, continue to grow his game. All right, final item on the menu. Not an expected item. This might be on the secret menu. No, it doesn't. This this is a, you have to make a special order for the future. Like this is, you have to make a reservation for this item. And and the date for this item's arrival is January. Yeah. It's Ethan Bear. No defenseman had a stock increase more than Ethan Bear last night watching this, these defensemen. Jet Wu's going to be the next Ethan Bear? Probably not. Noah Juleson? Nope. Cole McWard? Definitely not yet. Can't close the door on Ethan Bear coming back to the Vancouver Canucks. Even, even watching, you know, Carson Soucy, and again, only scrimmage and training camp, but we'll see how he does in the preseason. He struggled playing the right side. You know who doesn't struggle playing the right side, comparatively speaking? Ethan Bear. Yeah. So don't be surprised if Ethan Bear finds himself back on this roster. I mean, he might be the missing, well, not the missing piece big picture, but definitely a missing piece they have right now on the right side. Uh, the other free agent right shot defenseman right now, right now Nicholas Malosh, Mark Pissick, <laughs> and Andy Walensky. So uh, there's a few uh, secret items on the menu that had their stock increase over the weekend. Uh, it's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. That is the Monday menu. Still a working title on Canuck Central.